This is Life with Alcohol and Drugs, a podcast from the charity Scottish Families Affected by Alcohol and Drugs. This is episode four of the Alcohol Marketing Survey with members from the Scottish Families Alcohol Action Group, including Susie and Rebecca from Scottish Families, Gemma and Simon from Alcohol Focus Scotland, Louise from Alcohol and Drug Support South West Scotland, and Olivia and Beverly. So we can start it off with just saying um, an introduction about the Alcohol Marketing Survey um, that we've been looking at over the past year. And if Susie, if you can lead on what the findings were from the first alcohol survey. Yeah, sure. So I thought I might just start by telling you what the purpose of the survey was, just to give people a sense of why we were doing it in the first place. So we wanted to understand how widely spread alcohol messages are in everyday life. And then we we did that by asking different things like, what references to alcohol did you notice today? We then asked people to put those references into categories. We asked if people took photos. Um, I don't think we got many photos. We asked if this was the first time people had noticed where alcohol is present in their community. We asked for people's reflections on what they saw. We asked when they carried the survey out. So people sort of were encouraged to carry it out um, at a certain point in the day. Yes, yeah, so, you know, people were, were asking you to set aside a day and a time to make a note of where alcohol is present in your day. You could choose a full day or maybe a few hours whilst doing what you would normally be doing so it's just a sense of like what's around me you know in my own environment and then throughout the normal course of the day so not going out to look for you know try and find the examples but just what's in my community what's in my environment and then we asked people for any other comments so the top sort of lines 35 people completed the survey people told us that they um, were from 12 different local areas in Scotland. So it covered quite a lot of Scotland in terms of where the survey was carried out. Most people spent about an hour and a half on the survey. And on average, there were about 10 references per person. So 35 people noted over 350 alcohol references. Um, the, The one that scored highest was social media. The one that scored lowest was clothing, just at 6%, you know, out of interest. Foods mentioning alcohol, 31%. Um, Litter, 54%, so quite a lot. And TV adverts, 34%. And then we asked people, were there any noticeable health messages and what you observed? And 80% of people said no. And then um, the other um, stuff that we picked up was more qualitative, so we could come back to some of the themes that came out of that um, a bit later on in the conversation. You know, the alcohol references with um, social media being the highest, I think we can all agree that that is the thing that we do see. You do see a lot of sponsored, promoted posts wherever you are, and sometimes a Facebook feed could be littered with adverts and things. And I think it, was, it wasn't it was last year, but it was the year before um, for International Women's Day, there was an alcohol brand who thought that they would use that day to raise awareness of whatever drink that they were promoting. And that ended up getting quite quite a backlash, actually, surprisingly, because I think it was pink flavoured alcohol or something like that. Um, and there was a bit of reaction to it. But I don't even know if it's um, within a different like times of the year when you see more stuff on social media. I know, for example, like in the Euros, we were seeing a lot of um, alcohol marketing there and the billboards and things and people were seeing. But the likes of saying, you know, clothing was the lowest. Um, but probably you'll agree, like at the top of your head, you think of 
like the t-shirts that say may contain mm -hmm. wine or you know things like that so in terms of the 350 alcohol references being noted with 35 people like that's a lot you know that is a lot yes. that we're seeing. do you think yeah. like if we were to do it again would there be even more or if people had even more time would there be even more does anybody want to sort of discuss the, the alcohol references like you said i think it's, it's very interesting how many there are particularly given the context like i said that it, it wasn't people were sort of explicitly to go out looking for them it was just noticing what comes up quite naturally in their in their lives so yes how how prevalent that that is um obviously you know whether some of it the, the types of things that people are seeing it's interesting to, to consider whether the our current situation in terms of you know being much more in the house than the we once were is obviously impacting on the types of references that people are are conscious of seeing but that may be also a response to you know, the industry obviously knows that people are at home and, and whether they're then changing the ways in which they're they're marketing um, in, in response to that. I also wonder whether or not, you know, because we we talked about the fact that it came out in a time when a lot of people were locked down and the survey was um, sort of conducted in the early part of 2021. I do think that we should have an expectation that if we run the survey again, that because people just are potentially out more often um, and things have kind of shifted, haven't they, sort of culturally in terms of it feels like everything's sort of beginning to relax a bit. I know there's sort of a, a sort of a low level anxiety about the third wave and things like that coming. And we don't really know what's going to happen in the autumn and into the winter. But I think if we were to run the survey, um, you know, September time, um, even into early October, I think we might see something different again in terms of the number of references we're picking up. I think you're right, Susie. I think, you know, particularly if you, the survey will have been conducted at a time where people weren't um, going out to licensed premises, for example. Um, and again, if you with the relaxation of rules, whether that might put a different slant on the types of references that people are people are seeing. Um, I was just sort of looking at the the comments that were made and a lot of people, as you said, Susie, with lockdown, it's definitely it captured the picture of how everybody was feeling. But I also think it's so important to collect that information because people were saying, you know, they were seeing seeing memes across social media where you know, there was kind of, oh, you just need a drink, there's homeschooling, we just need a drink, we just need that. And people yeah. were trying to cover up, I guess, such a low mood with humour in a way. But at the same time, it was sort of coming into people's minds and they were noticing it a lot more. And a lot of people were saying that's very wrong and sort of underestimating the sort of humour behind it. I, know, I mean, I know myself, we've all seen the things on social media and, and fine, fair enough, but it's it's maybe like worth knowing is, are people going to say that that's still there to this day? As what you said, you know, this pandemic is continuing on and on, I think, for who knows how long more, um, and would it be the same sort of picture? Um, but one comment as well said that they felt that they underestimated the prevalence of alcohol because they were in their local area and they felt if they went into their city centre, for example, that they would see more advertising. How would you think about that? Do you think that that's a truth? Um, is anybody here taking the survey and seeing that as a personal output or what do you think? I would I would definitely say that. I mean, you know, when you're sitting at home all the time, it's really social media, isn't it, that we're looking at or, or television. But now that, you know, you're driving to your work every morning, people are getting buses, etc. Um, you're out for your kids' clubs. You're in the supermarket more often because you're not down to just one visit once a week I mean we have a lot more freedom now and yeah it's absolutely everywhere so I think if you if you have the same amount of people doing it again we're definitely going to have a much bigger volume 
so yeah, I would definitely say out more, seeing it everywhere now. So I wondered as well if if the alcohol companies themselves, in bearing in mind they know that lockdown is going to impact their sales, do they then look at their marketing budget and say, right, nobody's going to be in the centre of Edinburgh, for example, where I am. So let's pull our adverts on Lothian buses and the big billboards up wherever and focus more on social media because we know everybody's sitting at home on their Zoom calls. So it'd be interesting to see when we move out of lockdown if alcohol companies then refocus their advertising budget onto places that we are now a bit more comfortable going and the types of drinking that we're more comfortable doing. So drinking in a pub as opposed to drinking at home, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, th I think in general there's been, you know, over the last few years, a shift towards the industry concentrating their spend more towards social media in general, because that's you know a, a place where people more, more commonly are. So I, I think you're right that I, I would expect that, you know, over this last 12, 18 months, their spend has increasingly gone that way. I would expect there probably would be the extent, you know, with the world opening back up again, there would probably be a bit of a reversal in that. But I mean, I think one of the interesting things about the, the social media aspect of it is it's not necessarily just about, you know, sponsored posts. Um, and actually, I'm quite interested in what, what what were people seeing in that social media? Because, as you said, there's there's different categories. Like there's, there'll be the sponsored posts, but there's so much more now in terms of, like you said, what, what we class as user-generated content. You know, again, so it's interesting because it's free <laughs> because people are doing their jobs for them. Basically, they're sharing stuff that they're seeing. So it is. So there's this sharing of the memes, but there's also, you know, just generally interacting with conversations all, all helps to spread this message and, and spread these norms that this is what's going on. That they said that we do all need to drink to be able to, to cope with the challenges that lockdown um, have, have has brought to us all. Yeah, and just like, I think obviously there's like a whole, you know, research into the likes of social media, but... I think it's like the whole algorithm thing that happens and if somebody mentions something then that means that their account or whatever it gets that metadata gets taken and then that's why the likes of the sponsored posts means that they can spread out or or even things like that and we know that for example Facebook is now trying to focus more on people and letting them connect with what they want to connect which means like for example charities are struggling a lot more with getting organic reach but the fact that these industries, these alcohol industries can put a lot of money into that budget to make sponsored posts. It's like no wonder people are seeing it. And if you think of teenagers, for example, you know, how much are they going to be seeing on their phone? I think I think it was Roots, Susie. I think it was the young person's group for Scottish Families Roots, where they said that even in their feeds that they were seeing a lot of alcohol marketing that was getting put through to them and, and things like that and I know of course we could then go into a whole story about you know should these social media organizations be doing more for this there does come a point where you're thinking what can be done if the likes of charities can't afford to put a big budget into a sponsored post there's no way that they can beat the likes of um, a sponsored post from elsewhere where a lot of money can be done but if we're thinking of like part of this alcohol action group, there is sort of an education feel to it. There is sort of how how do we educate people, you know, as public health campaigns the way forward. Um, I know previously, just an hour or so ago, we were talking about alcohol labelling and, you know, how do we make that more noticeable? Because I think if 
people knew how many units were in the, the drink that they were consuming and how many units were meant to be healthy and you know what are the health risks per week I think a lot of people would actually be quite shocked to hear that and not understand sort of how much is in um, the drinks that they're taking in terms of like the alcohol survey and sort of what's come out of it is there anything that you did expect or do you think there's anything that was unexpected from it you know is there something that did was obviously the glaringly obvious is the covid response but was there something else that maybe was quite unexpected to see i would say that this is not unexpected because you know we have been in a culture where you know licensing and all of that stuff has come in you know like a decade over a decade ago i'm sure now um and so um marketing and supermarkets and shops and everything have all been sort of had to kind of get in line with licensing and requirements and everything like that but it was very prominent in this survey again in terms of context it was possibly one of the only places people were seeing alcohol uh because of the restrictions on movement and where you could be and not be so you know it's it but actually what it did do then was really pinpoint how how invasive it can be in terms of it being present in supermarkets and shops because again you know our conversation earlier this morning when we were meeting together as a group you know we talked about that whole idea of you know what would it look like if alcohol was no longer available as a sort of um another thing alongside everything else in the supermarket i mean supermarkets are kind of like insane anyway because you can buy anything like clothing toys you know it's just diy stuff stuff for your garden you know it just is like blow your mind you could like lose yourself there for a whole day but this idea that you could remove alcohol out of that environment completely and you would have to actually make a choice to go to somewhere that sells alcohol i think there's something about creating um a completely separate space so it's actually an intentional part of your day whereas for a lot of people you know where you have to make the effort to actually go there to buy it whereas a lot of people will buy it because they pass it like you might not have bought a bottle of wine for dinner because you didn't pass it so you just bought lemonade instead so it is really interesting isn't it when you think about that that's a really good point susie it's olivia here and um I grew up in Ontario, Canada, and where when we had to go buy wine, you would go to the what they call the LCBO, it's a government entity. I can't remember what it stands for now, but if you wanted to buy beer, you would go to um, it's called the beer store. Mm. Although, um, so I've lived in Scotland for sixteen years. Two years ago, when I was back in Toronto, in Ontario, um, that has changed slightly. Elk, um, beer is starting to be sold in supermarkets. Um, but growing up in in Ontario all my life, I, you know, I remember if you wanted to get alcohol, wine, spirits, you go to the LCBO. Now that's probably different for the other provinces in Canada, so I can't speak for the other provinces in Canada. But yeah, that that's that's the setup that they have um, in Ontario, Canada. And then when I moved here 16 years ago, and you can buy, like you said, everything under the sun in a supermarket, I was blown away. <laughs> Yeah, I get that. And Olivia, what, can I ask you a follow-on question to that? Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what do you do? You feel then, like, as that being a place where you grew up, do you feel like you had essentially, in terms of in your community, um, it, it felt much like alcohol was much less of a sort of a much less prevalent because you you, you had to go somewhere specific to buy it, or I think so. I mean, 
I think also the culture, the drinking culture between um, Canadians and, and British or, or Scottish in particular is very different as well. And um, but I think that that does make a difference um, because everything you said, like, you know, if you're just going for a normal shop and you pass by and happen to see a, a bottle of uh, alcohol that's on sale, you're more inclined to buy it. Whereas if, if you yeah. removed all those types of products from the supermarket and you had to drive somewhere separate, somewhere else, um, I think that will make a difference. So. Yeah, I think it's it's the extent to which these things help to create the culture. Like you said, if it is you know, if it is treated just as a a day to day item, the same way as you know any other product that you'd get in, in a supermarket, then that does help to reinforce that it's just something that everybody does. Because it's like you said, it's the convenience of you're walking down the aisle and you just grab it in your basket. But I think it's the the opportunism. Uh, from it and I think actually like you said if, the, if it was you know if you look at the contrast with tobacco for example where if you want to buy cigarettes now you've got to go to the the kiosk at the the, the entrance to the supermarket or behind the till you it's not necessarily about the only option being to remove it entirely from some places but again it's that what are the you know some of the the other options which could be a you know a separate checkout if you wanted to buy alcohol or you know perhaps not being able to put it through the self-scanner um, when we were at our height of um, lockdown and we were queued out around the supermarkets, the queue actually went up the alcohol aisle. So we were standing in the alcohol yes. aisle going down so slowly. It's not somewhere I go ever and, you know, like very occasionally. And it's like for a couple of beers if they're on offer. But um, the colours, and I had one of my kids with me, and she's like, well, what's that? And what's that? And what's that? And you're, you're having to do an explanation all the way down the aisle of everything that you've is available so yeah that was a bit awkward when you've got children um but also they're seeing it on kids snap stories now anyway every kid that's out drinking is putting everything on the social media of what they're doing um so then once you're obviously seeing snapchat stories and everything they're saying oh you know she was on this that weekend or that or she drinks this all the time or she drinks that and asking you what it is because it's in in their face all the time and obviously they want to know what's going on so yeah. that's what I was saying earlier about the user generated content where like you said it's actually people are doing industries jobs for them now you know they, they see this sort of stuff and like you said they begin to go what's that they become familiar with with brands uh, for example and, and you know back in 2019 we did some work with children's parliament which was looking at you know, sort of children's views around an alcohol-free childhood and what that would mean to them and one of the things that we asked as part of that was for them to draw where they saw alcohol in their lives. And this was children who were nine to 11. And I was really struck by their brand awareness as part of that, <laughs> where, you know, what they were drawing, you know, for a lot of children, it was just, you know, generic alcohol, but a lot of them were really focusing on the specific brands that they were, they were aware of and thinking, well, if, you, if they're aware of that at nine to 11, then when they do reach legal drinking age, they've, they've developed those associations, perhaps those affinities with those brands that they're then going to, to focus on when they're, you know, if they decide to start drinking. No, it's absolutely, you know, when you go down the park on a Sunday morning to, to take the kids down the park and there's just so many cans of like to dragon soup and things like that. So they're seeing it on Saturday night all over social media and they're finding the cans in the park on the Sunday morning and and they are little kids and if they're living in houses that have got multiple ages, you know what I mean, you've got teenagers that are maybe starting to experience it and younger kids and it obviously has an effect on them because they can see what's happening or they see older siblings coming in with it or asking for it or drinking it or hiding it and, and that sort of thing. So it's definitely going to be having an effect on the, the younger children. Yeah, and I think that's again thinking about 
you know, marketing of alcohol in its broadest sense and about that. I said things like packaging is a key part of that, that you know, the design of these products are to appeal to particular demographics. Um, so they look appealing to, you know, so they might be particularly appealing to, you know, younger people who are, you know, just commencing their, their um, drinking journey and things that, it, you know, so they, they look nice and that's why they want to, they want to drink them. Yeah, want to be involved in it as well, because if one, you know, I've been in, in social groups with, with children that are, you know, 15, 16 year old and a couple of the parents allow a couple of cans of dragon soup, but some parents don't, so they're going with, you know, a wee bottle of wine and things like that, and the pressure is to be drinking the same as everybody else, it looks colourful and it looks cool and how it affects you is completely different if you were having a little glass of wine and and that sort of thing, and you're just like, it's, they're just continuously chasing the, the high of what they're you know the image of it as well as how it affects their body kind of thing yeah and even like in the survey like the second highest that people seen alcohol was litter which I personally never would have thought about like I would never have said oh litter um but the fact is you're right like Louise like what you said you know there's cans littered about everywhere and even a name like dragon soup I mean I'm, I'm a bit older now so that was never the thing that I seen in school but when you hear something like that it's like of course somebody's going to want to find out what that is of course, somebody's going to want to know more about it and they want to, you know, be part of it or try what it is. There's just this very appealing sense to it. I mean, we are Scottish families are members of Alcohol Health Alliance UK. And recently I was speaking um, to their communications manager who said that they were trying to stop the glamorization of stock images of alcohol. Um, and they were trying to encourage the media, for example, to not use them, to not make them look tempting and things like that, which I think it's right. You know, if we if we look at the terms of drugs, for example, substances, a lot of that imagery is like dark and moody and quite, yeah, quite a gloomy, dark atmosphere to it. But then when you look at the alcohol side of things, it's brighter. It's in a sort of social setting you know it's within like a friend's home or it's in a, a pub places like that and it's quite weird because alcohol obviously is a drug itself but there's such a weird split to see it um you know if if we were looking at litter in the street you know if it was a discarded needle or things like that would there be more of an uproar to that in terms of just walking by the can of dragon soup on the grass in the park you know there's such a such a big difference when it comes to looking at at things like that but definitely the survey has really highlighted the fact that 35 people could see 350 alcohol references in the time that it took. And I know with the age range, there was more, it was more 25 and up. So there really wasn't that much from people under 25. So I think even as well, like in terms of the alcohol action group, it would be good to hear from younger people and to hear what it is that they see and to hear what it is um, that they think of things because I personally feel alcohol marketing is kind of being directed to them more than it is directed to others. I mean, that might not be statistically true, but there's definitely something around the younger generation being able to see more alcohol marketing, more things about going out at the weekend and nightclubs and things like that. I know we're not supposed to talk about nightclubs in terms of COVID right now, because that's an uproar as well. But yeah, there's something very strange about it. And I think, I think as well with this survey, it was good to have it at the time that it was because it gave people more time to really think about it instead of being back out and socialising again. There was something around being able to sit down and actually think it through. So obviously the lockdown and COVID really did affect the survey in itself. But when we think about us and the services and organisations that we come from, was there a rise in people drinking alcohol to cope 
with the lockdown. I know in Scottish families, Susie, we were seeing quite a high amount of people coming to the helpline, specifically a person affected um, with their own problem. Um, and alcohol was probably the top, it might have been the top or the second top, but it was the one that was coming in the most and what people were seeing. And, you know, people were at home more, they were noticing that alcohol was an issue at home more. I know Beverly, I know you and me spoke earlier this year and you said that you noticed more alcohol prevalence where you live and, and things like that. So is from Alcohol Focus Scotland and stuff like that, was there a rise in people drinking, do you think? From from our perspective, yeah, I mean, we, we'd seen um, some indications of this from kind of early on in the pandemic, both that some people were drinking less, but they tended to have been drinking less to begin with. Um, and then people who had maybe been drinking at more harmful levels, they uh, did tend to be drinking more and often by quite a large amount. Um, and there was a suggestion, there were some really pretty shocking statistics about England and Wales that came out about the kind of increase in alcohol deaths. And part of that, people are kind of thinking that it may have been people who've been drinking at quite a high level for a long time. And then during the period of lockdown, um, it's increased an awful lot. But I think one of the one of the problems, obviously, is, you know, often when we talk about people drinking to cope, the point is almost that that's not at all, you know, a solution to whatever the problem that they're trying to deal with is. Um, you know, and we need to try and get people to our support for whatever might be going on in their lives that is that is kind of causing them to drink. Louise, do you want to jump in with anything to do organisations see an increase in support? Um, yeah, oh, absolutely. We were <laughs> so busy and uh, other services in this area because they were constantly asking us to support and take over the overflow and we were at, at maximum as well. So that was a bit of a, an issue for us. But yeah. I think just talking to people in general, not having to get up and drive to your work the next morning, not being in an office environment, all those things, people who, you know, you were talking to that, you know, were drinking once in a blue moon prior to lockdown, were feeling the need every night to homeschool and, you know, the, the, the memes on Facebook and things like that, making it acceptable or that you needed it after you'd been homeschooling, trying to work from home and that sort of thing. So I think, yeah, during that the lockdown period, it just became quite normalised to just be sitting having a you know a glass of wine at night rather than your usual cup of tea or you know you're not running out to kids activities you're not doing the things that you were doing prior to it gyms were closed and stuff so yeah, I think there was obviously even people that don't have problematic alcohol use at all were still finding a massive increase in their alcohol intake just in general chat you were you were finding more people um and then you know doing their stock up on a weekly basis at their supermarket to make sure that they had enough wine for the whole week because they would only be there one week okay, one time that week and you were like when did that become a priority but it just kind of seemed how it was going so and I think it's the fact that you're obviously drinking at home's a much less controlled environment as well so you know if you're drinking in the licensed premises for example where it's you know very defined measures that you'd be getting you know at home you're not generally doing that so it's it's quite easy for the the, the measures that you're drinking to be larger than you would get in that and then therefore for the number of units that that people are drinking to kind of creep up without people you know really noticing does anybody have anything else that they want to talk about maybe in terms of the survey or anything else that's maybe quite current because obviously it's been a wee while now since the survey and we've had things like the Euros where um, there was alcohol marketing and display and I know that a few footballers had moved alcohol at the way which was quite it's quite a promising thing to see when you look at things like nightclubs and stuff like that and everybody's like vaccine passports to get in there and Beverly you sent us a blog 
recently um, about the Danish film Another Round, and I thought you said something absolutely brilliant about how um, when there was lockdown, I think it was you said something around everybody was just really looking forward to the restrictions being lifted so they could get back to the pub and things like that. So does anybody have anything that they want to chip in or anything that they want to mention that would be good for sort of this part of the podcast? Um, I think, yeah, that obviously with the Euros and the, the amount of sponsorship that we saw there and then like so Ronaldo moving the alcohol out the way and the Coca-Cola out the way and focusing on water. But then there was a few other players and managers who then made a kind of joke of it and went in and opened Heineken and started drinking it in the camera as if they were mocking Ronaldo for moving it out the way. So I think that was quite, you know, when somebody's trying to make a positive choice and other people in that area are mocking the positive choices made by people and playing it down as a joke, then that didn't really help the situation. So that was a bit disappointing to watch. Yeah, and I think it's that the relationship between sport and alcohol is an interesting one where you go actually, these people are at the, the, the peak of their, their physical fitness and things and actually, you know, trying to encourage people into sport is about improving their health and actually the relationships between you know, sports and unhealthy commodities. It's like, are, are those the right brands that should be partnering with sport? And it's and, you know, really interesting that, you know, things like Scottish women's football have made a stand not to accept sponsorship from, you know, gambling or, or food or, or alcohol. Some individual clubs have also actually, I think off the back of the Euros have come out and made, made similar stands. I think it'll be interesting to see whether the stance of some of these footballers begins to, um, if not lead to any, you know, immediate change, but at least it's, it's it, I think it's been so interesting that it's actually started the, you know, or highlighted the conversation and the, the need for us to be having that conversation about is this, are these relationships appropriate? Brilliant. Okay, thank you so much. Susie, do you want to do a little bit about the alcohol action group itself and about the next survey and how people can get involved in it? So if you want to get involved in the Alcohol Action Group, you can contact us at Scottish Families. You can also follow us on um, Twitter. Um, it's um, at AlcSFAD. And um, if you want to take part in the survey, watch out. That will be coming out soon. I think we'll probably plan to put the survey out in September um, and run it during the month of September. And yeah, we'd really welcome uh, people who are interested in getting involved. The other thing we're talking about at the moment is just being a bit more active in terms of um, how we get involved in consultations, writing to MPs and MSPs. So again, watch out for that. Uh, we'd love you to get involved and be part of that. Great, thank you. And thank you everybody for taking part. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you're worried about someone else's alcohol and drug use, you can contact Scottish Families on 08080 101011 or by email at helpline at sfad.org.uk. We also have web chat and further information on our website www.sfad.org.uk.